Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, Blaze Church. How are we doing this morning? My name is Joe, if you don't know me, and I'm really honored and privileged to be here with you this morning as we continue our study in the book of Ruth. And um, we are starting this week studying chapter two. And after reading chapter two and you know, having conversations with pastors Keith and Amy, we saw this theme in chapter two, and the theme was kindness. And that is really our overarching theme that I want to talk with you this morning. And not just kindness, but God's view of kindness, God's kindness itself, and how that drives us to be kind to others. But first, before we get into it, I have a bone to pick with the world on kindness. Because I've really been kind of meditating on this and trying to really research on what is our world view of kindness. And what I came to the conclusion is our world has distorted and warped what kindness is today. And the two things that I pulled out is that we have weaponized and monetized means. Now, let me get into that. Those are big words and I might sound crazy, but I also have the mic, so I'm gonna explain further. What does it mean when we say we have weaponized kindness? Well, have you heard that little phrase, I'm gonna kill you with kindness? Maybe you've used that in the past, or you know, in another way, it's say, I'm, the only reason I'm going to be kind to you today is because I wanna make you feel like an idiot. Um, and, and listen, I'm guilty, I've used that phrase before, and maybe you've um, reached for that, hey, I'm gonna kill them with kindness with a, with a difficult coworker or family member um, or, or a customer if you worked in a, in a retail setting. But after I thought about it, I would, just more and more, I said, you know, how crazy is it that we're using kindness as a tactic and not a genuine act. And then there's monetized kindness, which is the phrase, what can I get, what can I gain, what can I get from being kind to this person right now? Or maybe you've heard the term karma. You know, the only reason I'm choosing kindness is because I know what goes around comes around and I want a good return on my kindness investment. It's kind of like using kindness as an insurance policy against the universe. Um, but these are very shallow, shallow ways that we can use kindness. I want more. When I am kind to others and when others are kind to me, I want genuine kindness in my relationships today. But it's not sometimes easy to reach for kindness as your first response. Sometimes that's not in your front pocket or back pocket to pull out, I'm gonna be kind. And you know, to bring a personal example onto the stage, because Believe me, I am nowhere near perfect. Um, I'm driving on the Long Island Expressway with my daughter in the back seat. She's four years old. And if you are from Long Island, which I imagine most of you are, driving is very frustrating on this island. And uh, I was getting irked. The person in front of me was slowing down, speeding up. They had their blinker on, but they were not turning. I'm getting very, very <laughs> um, irritated, and I'm just going crazy in the car. Come on, guy, move. What are you doing? Get your act together. This, that, the other thing. And then this little voice behind me goes, 
Daddy, you know they can't hear you, right? Um, <laughs> and at that moment, I felt embarrassed and as small as one could feel, but kindness and grace was not even close to being my first response. In fact, I was berating someone who could not even hear me. And it got me thinking, I'm like, if I'm doing that to this imaginary person who, can, who can't hear me, like, how am I supposed to reach for that kindness in, in other situations? And today, maybe you can relate. Maybe you've had some regrets where you said, you know, maybe I should have approached that differently. Maybe I should have been more kinder to that person. Or maybe this morning, you're so hurt inside, you're saying, I can't even reach for kindness this morning. Well, I'm really excited that you chose to be here or watching online because today we are going to see an amazing view of God's kindness and how Ruth and the relationships and the other characters in this story use their kindness based on their faith in God. And ultimately, what we're going to learn is how we can apply that in our lives today. So before we get into chapter two, typically I don't usually try to recap the previous week's message, but Ruth is a unique book in the Bible. It's only four chapters, and it's written like a short story. So if you missed last week, I don't want you feeling like you're in the dark. Um, but I'm kind of excited to recap because I've always wanted to say this previously on the book of Ruth. Um, <laughs> So here's where we left off in the story of Ruth. Ruth is a recent widowed Moabite woman. And a Moabite is someone who lived in a land that was across the sea from Israel, and they were considered the enemy of Israel. And she's with her mother-in-law, Naomi, who was an Israelite, and their family came over to Moab because they saw that as the easy way out. And as Pastor Amy showed us, is sometimes the easy route is not the faithful route. Sometimes there is a different route. And ultimately, we saw at the end of chapter one how God was a faithful provider to his people no matter what. Even though they were rebelling and they were turning their back on him, God was there. Um, so now we have Naomi, her, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is not an Israelite. She's a Moabite woman. They've traveled back to Israel. They are alone. They have no resources and that is where we left off. Cue the theme song music. Um, <laughs> so let's actually get into some God's word. I'm really excited. We're in Ruth chapter 2. We're starting from the beginning. Um, and it starts this way. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So it's only three verses, but there's a lot to, to analyze here. First, the storyteller wants us to know that there is a relative of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech, named Boaz, somewhere in Israel. Um, and that's something that they want us to know up front. Now, Ruth doesn't know. She's unfamiliar with this land, with Boaz. And I just love Ruth continuing to just step out in her newfound faith. She is in this strange new land. She's considered an enemy in, some, in certain people's eyes. And she's saying, no, I'm going to do what it takes 
to survive. I'm going to step out and I'm going to continue to see where God leads me. Um, so she decides to go into the fields and she decides to pick over kind of the leftover scraps from the farmer's harvest, cold gleaning, and which we'll get into a little bit more later. Um, but then, then you see God's kindness start to unfold. Then you see his providence and plan on full display. And it's a moment where if you blink while reading it, you may have missed it. Um, so let's go back to verse three. It says, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Just uh, like it was a coincidence, like as it turned out. Um, but, you know, there was many, many fields for Ruth to choose. And and out of all of them, she lands into a relative who she doesn't know is a relative of her mother-in-law, Naomi. And I look at this and I just see God's kindness written all over this. And it makes me think, it's like, how many how many of you had these as it turned out moments in your life where you've looked back and you said, God, your hand was on that from the be very beginning. You were guiding me. You were, you were steering me in the right direction. Maybe it was uh, a financial breakthrough where God made a way. Or maybe it was a, a medical miracle where, as it turned out, God pulled through. Or maybe it was a marriage that was beyond repair, but it wasn't too much to repair for God. When God's plan just unfolded at that perfect moment. And it's tough to see it sometimes in the moment. You know, for example, me and my wife in the heart of the pandemic went through uh, a, a sale of our home and a purchase of a new home that we never thought we could even have. And we look, we sit in the home now and we look back to it and we're like, only God. Only God, as it turned out, God had that from the start. Um, and, you know, uh, it's not always recognized at the moment when you're in the middle of a difficult situation. And Naomi and Ruth are in the thick of it. They have ret returned with no one's help. And I don't think at this point they're looking for any type of favor or handout. In fact, Naomi feels like they have been abandoned. But I'm encouraged by God's word in Proverbs 16:9, where it says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. How comforting is it to know this morning that we have a God paving the path for your life? at all times. And I know this morning that it is no mistake that you're here or watching it on online. And God does not make mistakes. And Ruth and Naomi are in the middle of a hard time. And they feel like they are completely abandoned. But as it turned out, God's grander plan was just about to unfold. So let's get back into the story. Boaz shows up to the field. He sees Ruth, a new face, gleaning in his field, and he asks his workers, who is this, who's this new person gleaning in my field? And I think a pause, and let's talk about gleaning for a moment, because I don't think anyone has people gleaning in their backyards right now. So in the Old Testament law, God put a law in place that would allow widows, people who lost their parents, people who were less fortunate to gather food from the harvest during the harvesting season. So just to give you a little more background, Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22 says, when you are harvesting in your field, 
and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. But you got to remember, we are in a time in Israel where people are still turning their backs to God. They're not necessarily following God's law. And on top of all of that, the land of Israel has been in famine for years. So there are Israelites who have their harvest who aren't potentially being very kind to the gleaners. Um, and at this point in the time in the history, there was also history of the workers of the field harassing and abusing people who would come and glean the fields. And here we have Ruth, who is a Moabite woman in a strange land and has now just picked a field and it is now gleaning in Boaz's field. So the workers tell him, Hey, Boaz, this person has been just relentlessly gleaning. They haven't taken a break. They've just been nonstop. And Boaz has heard of Ruth's kindness, has heard what she did for Naomi. News travels, and he has heard it. Um, and he's just taken aback by the step of faith and the loyalty that she has shown. And here's what Boaz does. Ruth 2 Picking up in verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the woman. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Just such a big act of kindness from Boaz. And this could be traced all the way back to the moment where Ruth made that decision to put her faith in the true and living God and to go with Naomi to Bethlehem. She's been stepping out in faith. She's been vulnerable. She has surrendered with humility, and she's being met with grace and compassion from Boaz. And much like Ruth and Boaz, when we step out in our faith, when we trust fully in God's plan for our lives, we are met with the ultimate reminder of kindness and grace. I love the way Pastor Tony Merida describes it. He says, when humility and grace meet, worship begins. We have received God's grace in an even greater way than Ruth as recipients of Jesus's saving grace. The gospel is our ultimate driver to show kindness to each other. 
We've been saved by a loving God who looks past our imperfections, who looks past our history of addiction, looks past our anger, our lust, our greed. He looks past it all and he says, you're forgiven. All I want is for you to know me and to rest in me. And I look at both Ruth and Boaz and I ask me these questions as I'm reading chapter two. I say, if I'm in Ruth's situation, am I taking this risk? Am I going above and beyond for my mother-in-law? Am I stepping out in a foreign land? Or if I'm Boaz, am I gonna show kindness to someone who's considered to come from enemy territory? For someone who's coming from worshiping false gods? And I think that for many of us, the easy route is to say, no, no, I don't have to. I'm not gonna reach for kindness over the easier way. But Ruth and Boaz are not just driven by their themselves. They're driven by their faith in God. For Ruth, it's this newfound faith in, in God and seeing God's faithfulness to Israel in a time where they're not faithful to him. And for Boaz, growing up in Israel, it's him recalling the stories and seeing God's kindness and compassion in his own life and showing that to not just Ruth, but for every worker in his field. God put Ruth in Boaz's path, and it wasn't a mistake. There was a reason for it. And Boaz continues to show this radical kindness um, even more. Um, it, it goes on in the story. He shares a meal with Ruth, and he tells her, you know what? Forget about the scraps, Ruth. Harvest directly from, from, my, directly from the crops, directly from the farm. And that is just unheard of, quite frankly, and especially to someone who's not an Israelite. It is unheard of. So you know what Ruth does? She, she doesn't think twice. She collects over 30 pounds of grain. That is enough to feed her and Naomi for like several weeks. And I could just imagine Naomi's jaw dropping as Ruth is hauling 30 pounds over the horizon. Um, and this is what Naomi's reaction was when Ruth came back. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? She's like... <laughs> You can get all this by gleaning? Um, where, where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law that the one whose place she had been working, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to the daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And I love this. Naomi, when Ruth left, Naomi was in a state of bitterness, anger. And then she sees God's handiwork and immediately recognizes, immediately recognizes his goodness and his kindness and his plan for their lives. And it's great. They've got food to survive for several weeks. But moreover, Boaz is one of their guardian redeemers. And what that means, and you may see it in other translation as a kinsman redeemer or a family redeemer, but what that means is another Old Testament law was if an Israelite would be widowed or, again, fall into poverty or lose their family, a close relative could redeem them by either buying back their land or marrying into the family or paying off a debt in a variety of different ways depending on the situation. And it's time to leave you on another cliffhanger because that's where chapter two 
really ends. And we're going to find out in the coming weeks if, when, and how Ruth and Naomi could be redeemed. But the concept of redemption itself is more relevant to us today than we may originally see upon reading this. We are people in need of a redeemer. I am someone who's in need of a redeemer, a rescuer, who is going to constantly be running towards me no matter what direction I am running. And I'm so thankful this morning that we have a redeemer in Jesus. And now Boaz may be shaping up to be the hero of this story, but Jesus is our true and better Boaz. He is our ultimate hero of our stories. We are living in a broken world, and we're all dealing with some sort of sin in our life. And while in the Old Testament people had to try to redeem their relationship with God with continued animal sacrifice as a symbol of repentance, we know that now it could have never fully satisfied or atoned for the sins in our lives. And in God's loving kindness and compassion, he sent Jesus from heaven to earth to ultimately be brutally murdered and killed, to be redeemed, to redeem our past, present, and future sins. And it's not just so that we can live any way we want. It's because God loved us that much. God wanted to be in relationship with us that much. Boaz shows kindness to Ruth and his workers and those around him because he recognizes God's goodness and kindness in his life. And I was thinking about, as I was preparing for this message, you know, what are, what's a memorable thing, a memorable phrase that we may be able to take with us beyond today? The next time we have those knee-jerk reactions, we can maybe, you know, pull out kindness instead of another reaction. And after doing a lot of intense study, I thought of blockbuster video. Okay, that may sound a little weird, so let me explain. If you're old enough for Blockbuster Video, it was a video rental store that you would go to. <laughs> and and this is when you had to, you know, grab a video, bring it home, put it in a player. Um, and there were signs posted everywhere, around the store, on the VHS tapes, everywhere. And if you know it, um, say it with me. It said, be kind, rewind. But I want to flip that saying around this morning. I want us to remember to rewind and be kind. What do I mean by that? I want us to rewind or look back and remember the kindness God has shown to us first. Let that drive your every action in your relationships today. And, you know, it's not said in the text explicitly, but I can just imagine Ruth rewinding back to a time as a single woman in Moab, worshiping false gods, having no direction. And then you fast forward to the moment where she's being shown kindness by someone who, has no, who, who doesn't, have, doesn't need the right to show them kindness, but they do anyway. Or Naomi rewinding back as she sees the 30 pounds of grain come over the horizon, rewinding back to all the times, being rem reminded of the times and the stories you hear of when God rained manna down from the sky, when God he kept his promise to his people. Because we don't need to be driven by the world's definition of kindness. 
We aren't using kindness to take advantage of others. If you're a Christ follower today, we are thinking back to the day of redemption and sacrifice that Jesus made for our lives, which then drives us to genuine kindness. Romans 2.4 says, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's kindness to us is the foundation of our relationship with him. God isn't angry with you. He's not keeping a record of wrongs. Jesus took that burden. He took that burden of sin so that we didn't have to. And there's nothing that we could do to try to earn this relationship, to try to earn this salvation. Jesus said it best when he was on the cross. It is finished. And that is, that is something that we, we, we really need to, to remind ourselves sometimes in our relationships. It's finished. It was done on the cross for us. And a Christian kindness, a gospel kindness, isn't going to be the world's kindness. In fact, Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. As we develop our relationship with God and we get in tune with the Holy Spirit, we surrender our lives to Jesus. These fruits of the Spirit are developed in us. And I encourage you this morning that as we continue to just rewind and look back to God's kindness, that we just constantly use that as our driving force in every decision, not just kindness. I want to invite the worship team up. Um, this morning, it's, it's incredible to be reminded of the Lord's kindness, but I also do recognize that some of us today may be hurting. And for someone who's hurting, the easy route is hurt people, hurt people. But there's a better option. There's a better option this morning. You can surrender yourself to Jesus, hands up saying, I am done doing this on my own. I am ready to see what a true version of kindness is that God has shown us. Because God's kindness is the true definition of kindness. As we close this morning, I want to give everyone an opportunity to just surrender, to say, Jesus, you are my savior. You are worthy to, to follow, to be in relationship with. So if you join me, I'd love to pray. Father God, we thank you for this incredible reminder using your word this morning that we are, we are so grateful for what you've done for the sacrifices that you made first for us, Lord. Let us remind ourselves, let us rewind and look back to the cross. The cross, our ultimate symbol showing redemption, Lord. Our sins are forgiven and we are so grateful that we get to know you open and freely. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting inside right now. 
that it cannot be bound anymore, Lord. Yes, Jesus. In your name, we pray for every single person who wants to start a relationship with you today, that your Holy Spirit will comfort them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.